everyone, this is Ryan Carrillo, and I'm here today with Larry on the first ever USA Powerlifting Podcast. How's it going, Larry? So far, so good. Well, it's good to see you. I know you're in Alaska, and you'll be down here uh, during the snowbird season in Arizona. Uh, thanks for joining me today. As you're super aware of, and I am too, you know, we have a lot going on in the powerlifting world, and we want to take the time today to address some questions and some concerns and really just share more intimate details about what exactly is happening with USA powerlifting and the IPF and what our future looks like. We get a lot of questions from our members, you know, they are still somewhat unsure of the entire picture of exactly what has transpired and more importantly, what's going to happen in the future. So I want to start off real quick by recapping at a high level, exactly what has happened up until this point between us and the IPF? Sure. Um, well, it goes back several years, but the, the issue is primarily turns on drug testing and, and our commitment to drug testing. Um, it, as you well know, we started out 40 years ago on the principle that every everyone should be subject to drug testing and it should occur at every level and that that would be necessary to keep a clean platform. And, and even more so that everyone deserves a clean platform, not just elite lifters or um, those who are on the national team or um, those who come to nationals, but everybody should have a fair shot. And so within that context, um, the IPF has moved to, uh, in their efforts for IOC recognition to complete WADA compliance, and, and has really bent over backwards and probably gone beyond what the WADA code really asked for. And what that means to us is that starting in September, October of 2018, they demanded we comply with the WADA code, basically at every level. And, and as you know, we have a combined drug testing program. Um, we use a certified forensic laboratory. We do confirmations in the WADA lab. Um, we do WADA testing at nationals. And, and so that maximizes our ability to um, do a, a sufficient number of drug tests at every level. Um, their demand basically was that we stop using non-WADA lab and starting last year, late last year and into early in 2021, the demand was that we have nothing whatsoever to do with our own drug testing. And, and in fact, we pay them or we pay the National Anti-Doping Agency, USADA, or the IPF Anti-Doping Agency to do all of our drug tests, and we would have no input whatsoever. Let's talk about that for a second, Larry, because I think there's, we need to just define that a little better so people really understand the gravity of the situation here. They're essentially telling us to foot a $2 million bill and have zero control or input over who gets drug tested and we don't even get to know who is drug tested and who fails, right? Yes. Ultimately, we would know who failed um, at some point after the process ran its course. But in order to continue testing at the rate we are, at the level we are, um, you're right, the bill would be $2 million. And we saw bids. Um, so the only alternative for us really was that we would cut drug testing down probably by 90 to 95% in order to buy into the system that, as you are correct, we would have no control and no input to. Um, but, but nonetheless, 
we considered that we would bargain in good faith and we would test the system. And, and we did in fact do so at collegiate nationals. Um, what we found was um, that we really didn't have any input. And um, the, the short answer is it didn't work. Um, it, it didn't meet our standards for adequate drug testing, leaving us with a dilemma. And the dilemma is, do we basically become an untested federation or a federation that does token testing at best um, and not even very good token testing at best? Or do we stick to our principles and follow our mission and maintain our commitment to lifters at every level? And that's been the question. Yeah, and we posed that question at our national governing body meeting in Daytona Beach and in other ways, right? I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the resounding response was we're sticking to our guns and our founding principles, right? Yes, um, we did discuss it really at length at the NGB meeting. And, and for those of you not really familiar with the structure of USA powerlifting, we're a representative republic. Um, and there are about 70 votes that represent the membership of USA Powerlifting. They're the state chairs, committee chairs that represent people, the Keenan Jr. Committee, et cetera, and the executive committee um, who govern USA Powerlifting. In our NGB meeting, National Governing Body meeting, um, we really discussed it at great length, but we also prior to that had a Zoom meeting um, with the NGB leading up to that and discussed these issues as they were developing. And we polled everyone. And, and the overwhelming response there as well was, um, drug testing is basically fundamental to who we are. Um, so, so we heard what you said. And, and it was important to people, and it continues to be important to people, um, that when they step on that platform, whether it be at the Husky Invitational in Alaska, or whether it nationals, that they get to do as well as they possibly can do, um, and and basically not face cheaters. Yeah, um, and so that's the, that's a direction we're going. For, for for those watching that may be new to our organization or or aren't members yet, we we have thousands and you know tens of thousands of members. And of those tens of thousands of members, a very small percentage, in fact, about 1% are what you would consider elite. Uh, I believe in 2019, Larry, we sent a little over 600 athletes, many who went multiple times to international competition. So in an organization of 20,000 people, 600 makes up about 1%. And to be in a drug testing policy that only maybe tests a portion of that 1%, it just goes against what we're talking about and having drug-free competition at all levels. We are a grassroots organization, right? We're, the local lifter is the driving force and reason for our existence, right, Larry? Yes. And, and I've obviously been out here a long time and it was here shortly after we started as the ADFPA and, and really our founding principle and our, our thoughts were at that time, and they really continue to be that um, this really is about lifters, um, not just elite lifters. We don't exist for elite lifters. And while international competition is important, and it's it's certainly important for those 400 people who make 600 appearances internationally, um, what's most important really is 
that when you go to a meet at the local level, you have a fair shot. And, and that's who we are and that's what we're about. Those, those, the masses of people who compete um, at every level. And we think it would be a disservice really if we took all the members' money, and that's how we're supported primarily, uh, membership money and sponsorship, and use that money to just support that very few people. Um, so um, just to look at sort of broadly about our perspective, our perspective has been one where um, we try to expand services for lifters at every level. And one example of that is we provided meat directors out there on the ground with backdrops, um, the USAPL logo, so that their meats would look good and so that they would be standardized looking in. Um, we provided equipment to meet directors in areas where they couldn't get any, where they were just starting up. So um, we have really tried to support local level lifting, state level lifting, really since the beginning. And that's what's important to us. Absolutely. So let's wrap, let, let's put a bow on this IPF saga. So we have, like any other member nation and any other chief organization, over the years, things need to be negotiated, disagreements happen. This isn't something new, right? So we've tried to negotiate with the IPF, but we discovered recently they had no incentive to negotiate with us, did they? No, in fact, interestingly enough, um, some of you may be aware that there's a group of people who purport to be the follow-on to USA powerlifting in the United States. and. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to plan for contingencies. Um, say we immediately withdrew from the IPF, they would have to think of something to do, right? Um, but we were in a series of negotiations and we really have been since 2018. And those negotiations really became much more formal with a meeting of the USA Powerlifting Executive and the IPF Executive several months ago, where we tried to negotiate um, alternatives to the IPF planned model of you will only test through water labs and only elite lifters. Um, unfortunately, the IPF had no incentive to do that because several of our members, um, well, former members former at this members, point, yeah. um, they resigned. Several of our former members incorporated a federation to be our successor and they did that even before we went to negotiation and arbitration. So, as you said, the IPF has no incentive to bargain in good faith, and they haven't. Um, I, I, will, I will point out one thing, that many of the sponsors of the IPF are concerned, because as, as you may know, with our, our breadth and depth and frequency of meets, we had 333 meets sanctioned in in 2021, and with our breadth and depth, we really represent the single largest market in powerlifting for equipment and services and, and what have you. The IPF has been telling sponsors that um, they will stand up a new federation in one day and things will roll on just the same. Um, and, and therein is the knife in the back to honest negotiations. They have no incentive. Um, because of the promises they've been given by those former members 
basically will be just as good as USA Power. And, and I would challenge that. Okay, Larry, we've seen recently from the IPF a release to the Congress about an extraordinary session they're going to have the day before Open Worlds kicks off in Norway. A lot of people don't understand how IPF processes work, what this Congress does, what exactly is going to happen in November? What's, what do you think the outcome is going to be? How does this affect our members? Well, the, what's coming up on November the 7th is an extraordinary, I don't know why they call it that, but an extraordinary General Assembly um, where they're going to deal with the issue of expulsion of USA powerlifting from the IPF. Um, basically, based on the premise that we have been unwilling to um, do exactly what they said. Um, and I guess in, in that respect, they're right about that. We have been willing to do a number of things to, to remain in the IPF, but what we haven't been willing to do is compromise our principles. The IPF purports to be a democratic organization. It's less than that, actually, but um, it purports to be a democratic organization, and they're going to call together the members of the nation's and the committees who hold votes in the IPF um, and put to a vote whether or not to expel us. The IPF must have a quorum, must be 20% of all the nations in the world, um, and then they must vote by a two-thirds majority to expel us from the IPF. They will make their case. Um, we will make our case, um, which is to say, um, just to uh, highlight some of the things we're going to say. Um, we're going to say that we have been here since 1997. Um, we were brought into the IPF because we were a clean nation in a, in a world where powerlifting in the United States was, was um, not a clean sport, um, where the United States dominated because we were um, And we have maintained a clean platform and we have had very few drug testing failures over that time because our system moves. Um, and we'll indicate a, a willingness to be WADA compliant for elite lifters. And we'll even indicate a willingness to probably split our federation into two federations, one of which serves the elite and one of which um, maintains the integrity of our local level. Um, Which on that, pause on that real quick, Larry, because we proposed that already to the IPF, right? In yes, those negotiations did. where they had no incentive to negotiate, we presented uh, examples of other sports that do this, USA basketball, there's a few others, right? Let's elaborate a bit and tell folks on how we've been trying our darndest already to, to follow precedent in other sports, but the IPF refused. Sure. Um, the, the split federation was our idea. Um, and it would have been basically two autonomous federations um, where the elite level lifters were subject to a lot of testing at every level. Um, and local level testing proceeded as it was. I, I will say one thing parenthetically. Um, we do a lot of testing at local level as well. We just don't do all of it. Um, that's probably something that's not known. And we do confirmatory testing in the water lab at the local level as well. Um, but that being said, um, we did highlight other examples. And being an Olympic year, um, we had the opportunity and, and one of our 
executive committee members, Dan Goudreau, um, reached out to Olympic sports and asked them how they organize things and how, um, how it's WADA compliant basically for them to bring in pro basketball and pro hockey players who, who essentially play out in the pro leagues all the time and, and then get to go to the Olympics because they're not subject to WADA testing at those pro levels. And the answer was six months out, they declare their eligibility to the USOC and they get put in a WADA testing pool um, where they are subject to all WADA conditions. And we said, we would be more than happy to do that as well. If someone is going to be an international competitor, we'll put them in the pool. You can test them as you see fit. Um, we will be 100% WADA compliant with those people. Um, and the IPF rejected that. And, and here's an interesting artifact. The IPF anti-doping rules go beyond the WADA. The WADA code speaks to recreational lifters. And, and that is, is not an insult to people who compete locally or at the state level. Um, it's just their definition. Recreational lifters are everybody below the elite international competitor. Um, and for us, that's most of us. Um, and so our response was we'll constitute a different but viable set of rules for recreational, recreational lifters. And we'll be WADA compliant for elite level lifters as defined by the WADA code. And that was unacceptable to the IPF because essentially I suspect, Ryan, it's a battle for control, yeah. um, control of us, um, control of our platform and, and control of our budget. Yeah, and it's nothing new, right? The Arnold has been a huge successful event that we've run over the last decade. I forget the number of years, but I, I know- 14, excuse me, uh, almost a decade and a half. So 14 years and the IPF has constantly tried to uh, dip their fingers in the pie, if you will, because of the amount of money that flows through that and how much we give away. Yes. Um, for, for those of you who don't know, um, the, the mandate um, by the NGB when we first got into the Arnold was um, it, it has to basically break even. Um, we're not going to use member funds to support this. Um, really what, as it started, was a one-off competition. And, and we've abided by that. Some years we make a little money, some years we lose a little. Um, but we're, we generally break even. Um, and, but it's a very expensive meet to run. It, it's in the low six figures just to run that competition. Mm -hmm. And that's largely supported by um, both the entry of the athletes, but most importantly, the, big, the lion's share of the money really comes from sponsors for that meet, and, and that's a plum. Um, so the proposal a number of years back was make this a solely an IPF meet, um, and within the IPF system, the IPF gets all the sponsors. Yep. And, and so the response to the challenge, if you will, was make it a fully IPF meet, um, from start to finish, just like a world championship, and we'll take all the sponsors, but you can continue to run the meet, which um, sounds like craziness to me because um, then USA Powerlifting would get to pay for everything um, and get no money for it, basically, other than a portion, as in the IPF system, a portion of the entry money. As an example, you pay $150 
to participate in a world meet, the meet director gets 15 euros. Um, so um, we would basically be out $250,000 a year um, to run a meet for the IPF. But the incentive is high. They want that money, obviously. Um, yeah. And, and we said, no, I mean, we can't do that. Um, that would violate the, the initial mandate by the NGB that, that essentially we not pirate the lifter money to run a one-off meet. Even though it's very important meet, um, it's a very high profile meet. It, it interestingly is the highest profile meet in the world um, in terms of viewership and clicks, but, um, but we, can't, we can't pirate the treasury for that. Um, it, has to, it has to make its own way. Yeah. Uh, thanks for going over that. I, I think the more people know about the IPF's history of trying to bully our organization, the more clear it becomes on their motives. It's money-driven, it's control-driven, and we refuse to be ruled <clears throat> and acquiesce to someone else. Right, Larry? Yep. You know, it's, it's a funny thing, and we talk about this among ourselves sometimes, but there's a reason why we're the United States of America and we're not a British colony. Um, and why we don't live in Europe. Um, because at the end of the day, we're, we're self-directed and self-governed and we're Americans and we don't do it that way. Amen to that. So we've talked a bit about November. What, for, for those that are feeling concerned about our future, what are some things you can let them know to help them feel a little better on what exactly is coming? You know, I, we've, we've had a, a series of recent questions and many of them have been posed by people who who lift at the local level. And their question really has been, um, what's gonna happen to me and will I still get to compete? And the answer is yes. Um, right now, we have more than 100 competition sanctioned for 2022. That's, that's really pretty normal. Um, people sanction throughout the year. So as we wind down 2021, people look forward to 2022 and start putting in their sanctions for early in the year. There are more than 100 sanctioned right now. Um, so the answer to that question is, yes, of course you can still do it. Um, USA Powerlifting will go on and we will still have meets. Um, we'll still have local meets and we'll still have state meets and we'll still have the Women of Iron meets and things that are important to you. We're going to keep doing that. Um, by the same token, um, we're, we're, as you probably know, there's a lot of discussion about our upcoming pro series. Um, it will kick off with, with the Virginia Pro in December. That's a meet, an independent meet run by Saber Schnitzer in Virginia, but that's a meet for elite level lifters to compete for a substantial amount of money. Um, the second leg of that will be the Arnold. And as we conceive our pro year, um, the Arnold will be the finals, but we're starting late in that. Nationals will be the beginning of it, starting in June next year. There will be several other meets um, throughout the year, ending with the Arnold again in the following year. So we anticipate having an outlet for elite level lifters as well. Um, but one of the questions and a number of, one of the things that master level lifters enjoy the most is the camaraderie, um, the opportunity to compete, um, compete with their friends, compete at a high level, and 
to, to cater to that end, um, one of the events in the Arnold this year is called the Masters of Iron, where we will invite, and the invites are coming out soon usually, everyone who would have been on the Masters national team um, to come to the Arnold to lift in the Masters of Iron. That's huge. Let's give a round of applause to that. That's huge news. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's going to make a lot of people super excited and happy. And we get to highlight a big segment of our membership uh, who's fun to watch, who has been in the game a long time, and now they get their own flagship event. I love it. Yeah. It's a lot of fun lifting with Masters, I have to say. Yeah. Master 3 myself, because at the end of the day, um, master lifters, even though they're vicious competitors, are really there to have fun. And they are. So they're a fun group of people to be around and um, supportive of each other. And, you know, a lot of us have been out here a long, long time and we've known our competitors for decades. So uh, it, it'll be a great time, I think. For sure. And that, that's some really positive news. And, and I want everyone listening to feel optimistic about this. You know, I'm a very optimistic positive person and as someone who's been in the organization 12 years since i was 18 i have been fortunate enough to see us grow from like 2500 members to i think at our peak 23,000 before covid larry something like that something like that yeah so a significant amount of people and with that has come leadership who has improved the lifter experience who has improved the powerlifting product that our organization puts out there and I want you to be optimistic about what the future holds because we have really intelligent, creative uh, lifters who lead us and are focused on making your experience better. The, the money that we spend in the IPF every year is significant. And the example of the pro series is we're going to take that money and give it back to the lifters. Right, Larry? Yep. And with that comes opportunity with the amount of support that we have and attention that our product and brand has in this uh, in this country and honestly the world because of what we do for powerlifting the sky is the limit in the future uh so you know whatever happens in november be optimistic about what's coming down the pike because we're working hard to improve your experience to give you avenues to compete at a number of different levels to be around your friends to forge those relationships that larry's talking about so 10 years from now you are competing against the person you competed against when you started and that's what we're all about right yeah. And to answer your question, Ryan, about November, um, it'll be an up and down boat whether we're in the IPF. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to read the nations, but I know that uh, a lot of the nations really receive information only from the IPF directly. Um, a lot of them were recruited by IPF members directly. Um, and I think there's a fair chance we'll be expelled. Um, but what I want to tell you is that that's not the end of the USA powerlifting. Um, no. Could be yeah. the beginning of something even grander, right? Well, it certainly could be. And if, if history tells us anything, um, before we joined the IPF um, back in 1996, 97, when those negotiations went on, we were the biggest federation in the United States because fair play, level playing field, were just as important then as they are now. And so our, our mission statement continues to be viable. And just because we may exit the IPF doesn't mean that we won't be as important going on in the future for the lifters and 
that we will continue to develop programs. And just to highlight a couple of examples, one of the things we've done is standardized meat. So they look really similar everywhere. Um, we've developed meat management software, um, a records database where you can look and print your own record certificates. Um, we have continued to improve live streaming. Um, so if you can't go to the meet, you can look out there at the meet and your friends can as well. So um, the improvements have really been ongoing. And, and that's just a, a, up, a series of upgrades that we continue to improve. Um, improvement for the lifter experience. But uh, turning back to the IPF, we, it'll be an up and down vote. Um, it's hard to predict what will happen. I, I suspect we will be voted out, but we'll go and present our case. Um, we'll let the nations decide. And if we're no longer in the IPF as of November, in some ways that, that provides a great deal of freedom for us. Yeah. Uh, freedom from the cost, um, freedom from the onerous governance, um, and freedom to innovate. Um, that innovation will likely um, include some international participation, but we don't know what shape yet. Um, invites to like-minded people internationally um, to be on our platform to yes. raise our level of competition. And perhaps accepting invites from other like-minded people in other places internationally. So, um, not the end for us internationally, I suspect. Um, probably not going to say a great deal more than that, but um, I can read between the lines. That's some exciting stuff. And I'm sure people listening, their ears are perking up as you say this and they see your smirk. So that's awesome. Let's talk about elite lifters for a moment. This seems to be one topic everyone always goes back to throughout this uh, saga with the IPF. It seems to be that people believe as the elite lifters go, so go USA powerlifting. I don't think that could be further from the truth. We've talked about them already, how they make up a minority of our organization. You know, if you, if you look to what just happened at Raw Worlds, we had about 26 people defect from our organization. That is a very insignificant amount of people. When you look to the primetime events that we have, if that's how you define elite, that makes up a small portion of the primetime. We are made up of many, many elite lifters. And, you know, our elite lifters are more than one or two people who happen to have a big social media following, right? So sure. let's assuage some concerns about, you know, what are elite lifters going to do? Because that does seem to be something that's important to the masses. Sure. Well, I think that if, if our experience is correct, some elite lifters will stay and some will go. Um, at, at this point, and I will say at this point, the IPF is really sort of the pinnacle of competition if, if you're in the top one or two people in the world. Um, but what I'll also say is there are a whole lot of, of very gifted lifters who haven't gone anywhere. Um, maybe some more will and maybe some more won't. Depends what they perceive as their opportunities, I think. Um, and some will stay and some will set flagship. Um, for, for USA powerlifting. So um, it's not going to be as if every lifter who reaches a, a master's level total 
um, in our little classification system or our elite level um, classification is going to make an exit. Some will, some won't. And, and we certainly don't blame them. And we, as I said in the discussion with our open national team, um, you're welcome back here anytime. You can be non-compete members if you choose to compete somewhere else. That's more a liability thing than anything. Um, you can come back and compete with us because we're not going to penalize you if you go out and compete somewhere else because that isn't who we are. Not to mention it's probably not legal in the United States from an antitrust standpoint. <laughs> yeah. But our elite level lifters are all, always welcome here and they can come and they can go. Um, I will tell you that um, not having to manage the IPF programs is, is really been a little bit like taking your ski boots off. You don't know how much it hurts until you can stop. <laughs> um, so um, there are opportunities for them out there. 26 people competed at IPF Classic Worlds. Um, more power to them. Um, some more will go in different places, I'm sure. Um, and we wish them all the best of luck. When they're ready to come back and they want to participate, we're happy about that too. Awesome. Very well said. Well, I appreciate your time today. I think this was a really great discussion and I bet we'll do more of them because I think people really appreciate uh, our organization being transparent. They love to hear from you and I'm sure they'll love to hear from other NGB members. I'd love to talk to Dan. I know he's been integral in, in this whole process with the IPF and I think we should give our members a chance to ask us questions. So I'm going to add uh, a little in slate to this video so people can email questions and then maybe in a few weeks you and i can get back together and answer some more questions uh if possible so how does that sound yeah sounds good okay thanks for watching everyone we'll see you next time